Um, before I jump into the sermon, I do want to take a moment to pray. Uh, and I want to do the same thing I do every week, uh, not because it's tradition, but because I, I really believe we need God. I, I need God to help me teach, and we need God to help us listen. So would you just take a moment right with me and pause and, and pray and ask God to help? Heavenly Father, God, we, we're gathered here today, and I, I just pray you would, you would continue to work in our hearts. God, I'm asking that you would help me to teach your word faithfully. God, give me the words to say and help my mind to be clear as it's teaching the word. I, I, just, I just pray you would use it. And God, I pray for our hearts. God, give us ears to hear what you would say to us. I, I pray you'd protect us from distraction. I pray you'd protect us from mishearing that we would you would help us to hear clearly only what you would say to us. So God, help us to encounter you through your word. I pray you would bless this time and make it worthwhile. And I pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, we're continuing our series in Acts, and so you can turn your Bibles to Acts 4. And as you're turning there, I just, uh, as I was getting ready for this, I I was thinking through several years ago, uh, I had the privilege of meeting a guy. His name was Nick Ripkin. Um, he came to my house, and uh, he, I had the privilege of sitting around a dinner table with him and some of my other friends as he shared his stories from the mission field. He's working overseas, and he shared a lot of really rough stories, if I'm honest with you. Like, he, he shared stories of suffering and persecution. Um, he shared stories about seeing many of his friends that um, he led to the Lord. He shared stories about them getting murdered in, in a series of several weeks, and had to witness a church he completely decimated on the mission field. Uh, he, he also shared stories about after that, not only of his own suffering and the suffering of his friends, but he began to travel around the world and work exclusively with the persecuted church. He would spend his time um, going to places where persecution had broken out, and he would meet with the people that survived, and he would have conversation with them. He would encourage them. He would try to discover um, what God was doing in the midst of this. And, and over and over and over again, he he just was on the front lines of some of the most brutal persecution that's happening in the world. He eventually turned into a book called The Insanity of God, and you should uh, check that out sometime if you're interested. It was, it was really good, The Insanity of God by Nick Ripkin. Um, but here's what I'm driving at. As he talked, I began to wonder and ask myself this question, um, and, and maybe you're there right now as well. How would I respond in that situation? Like I, I, as he's sitting here telling stories about these men and women who are the realities, for them to follow Jesus was going to cost them literally their lives in, in, in awful ways. I, I began to ask, well, what would it be like for me? How, how would I respond in those situations? And, and after I met Nick Ripkin, several years later, or several months later, actually, I got to travel into Afghanistan and work with some people that were there. And I spent a week there, and again, while I was there, I heard stories of people whose friends had been killed or kidnapped and tortured. Um, stories that I will never share. Um, it's their stories to tell. But again, I, I ask the question, in the middle of that intensity, knowing that I'm surrounded by people that literally would love to get their hands on me and kill me just because I'm a follower of Jesus or just because I'm a Westerner. Uh, it, it was intense, but, but I... I ask myself the question, if I got kidnapped tonight, how would I respond? Like, would, would, would I bail on this? Would, would I bail on Jesus? Would, would I die well? Would I be faithful to him until the end? Like, I had all sorts of questions. And then 
it transfers to me. And I want you to ask that question of yourself this morning. If, if for some reason our, our world turned upside down and our, our culture turned upside down to the point that following Jesus became deeply costly, how would you respond? I mean, there'd be a lot of temptation there, right? Temptation to say, listen, it's just easier to keep my head down, to keep my mouth shut, and just secretly go about this so that nobody knows. Never share the gospel, never acknowledge you, just be by myself, me and Jesus all by myself, in the quiet places where no one else knows. I'm not gonna talk about it, I'm not gonna meet anyone. Like, I would never gather with a group of believers, it's too risky. Like, would, would that be the temptation that we would do to, to hide? Or maybe worse, your temptation is I'm bailing completely on it. I want nothing to do with Jesus. That's way too costly. Jesus is great when it makes me feel good, when, when it's in a room and it's, it's like this conference type feel. Like I like Jesus when he makes me feel good, but if Jesus costs me something, man, I'm, I'm completely out. And the reason I'm asking those questions is because today's passage, I think, gives us insight about how we can be people that actually stand up in the midst of pressure and persecution. And not just persecution, what about just straight suffering? But like suffering, just, just the hardships of life. How are we gonna respond when suffering really ramps up, when you lose loved ones, or there's bad medical diagnosis, or you lose job, or whatever suffering that we can be thinking of, how are we gonna respond? And, and this passage today, we get a look at how the church responds out of the gate She's brand new. How does she respond when things get hard? When there's that first threat of violence and that first threat of things going squirrely on them. So let me review where we've been. In Acts chapter four, uh, the church is brand new. It got started. Peter's first sermon happened in Acts two. 3,000 people get saved. It's a great first sermon. Then after that, the church is just exploding. It's spreading all over the place. And this young church is just passionate about studying the word and being together and worshiping God. And, and they're being generous and meeting needs. And they're together every single day. They're together every day, eating meals together, having each other to their homes. I mean, this church is wild man like it's like you know those couples when they first start dating where they're like dude I can't be around I want to throw up they're just always like you you know you googly eyes or whatever you want to call it. they're just constantly like that you're like I can't take it anymore like that's this church man they're all over each other I mean not like that but like they're all over being in relation with one another being together knowing each other learning each other's stories like they, they can't get enough of it and, and then Peter and John in the midst of this this explosion, they walk into the temple and they see this crippled guy and they heal him and makes this huge crowd. Peter preaches a sermon. 5,000 more people get saved. He gets arrested mid-sermon and stays in jail overnight. And then Peter and John stand before the Sanhedrin, the same men that killed Jesus two months earlier. Like we know they're murderous snakes already. We, we know they're not going to tolerate stuff. And if they went after Jesus when he was immensely popular, what are they going to do for a couple guys that they don't really care much about that aren't as popular as Jesus? They're not going to have a problem wiping them out. So they've been in prison overnight. They just get released. And, and here's what happened to them at the very end. Acts chapter 4, verse 21 And when they had threatened them further, or when they had further threatened them, they let them go finding no way to punish them because of the people, for all were praising God for what had happened. So they're saying, listen, they're there, these, these guys in the Sanhedrin, they're threatening them. They're saying, listen, it's great you healed the guy. You're going to stop it, and you're going to stop it right now. 
I don't want to hear about Jesus. Uh, we don't want to see you walking around talking about the resurrection. We don't want to hear you mention his name. If we catch a whiff of any of that Jesus talk, the next time we meet is not going to go so well for you, right? It's, it's that conversation. It's that conversation where they mean business. It's, it's just not a, it's not a pleasant situation. So here we are. They jump in. And my, the question I'm asking is, how did these guys first respond? Acts chapter 4, verse 23 says this. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and elders had said to them. We're just going to hit pause. I know it's a weird spot to stop. The very, the very first thing that they do, like right out of the gate, they get released. They've been threatened. They've seen God work. And they go right to, and it says, their friends. That, that word in the Greek actually is the phrase, their own people. They, they went to their people. Like that's a phrase we would use nowadays uh, when you're hanging out with someone and that's the people you get along with and the people you feel the most comfortable with. They feel like family. You say, those are my people, right? Like you go hang out with them. You are my people. I love hanging out with you. You are my type of people. I love you. And what Peter and Paul and them do is right out of the gate, they're saying, what am I going to do right after I get out of this threat? So right after I've been threatened, the first people I need to talk to are my people, I need to go to my people, my, my community. It translated friends there because that's exactly what's going on. Like They want to go to their people, and they want to be with their people, with their church community, with their family, with the people they study the word with and have meals with and hang out together, with their support system. They're saying, these people, I just got threatened to be killed or beaten for proclaiming Jesus. And yeah, I stood strong, but the threat is there. What's the first thing I'm going to do? I'm going to my people, and we're getting together, and I'm going to share this burden. Like, here's the very first thing that, that stands out to me. I'm asking this question. Can you imagine a community relationship in the church where as soon as something hard happens, something difficult, something scary, something hard, something, some temptation, the person that you want to talk to are your people at church? Can you imagine a type of deep relationship where what happens is, man, I, I want this community, I want my, my friends at church to know that I am struggling right now. The reason I ask that question is because here's what I think happens in church way too often for us. I, I think church is the thing where we show up on Sunday mornings and then when suffering happens, yeah, I mean, we might want people to know, but we'll send a quick email out, but we don't want to sit face to face and tell them, here's what, here's what happened. We, we're not together enough to sit there and say, man, I just need to get with my people right now and tell them that I'm struggling staying true to Jesus, right? Like, I think many people would say, listen, I don't mind sharing, hey, I got sick. I don't mind sharing that, you know, a cancer thing. I don't mind sharing that. But sharing any type of fear or agony or personal struggle, I believe we tuck tail and run from that type of conversation in the church. Do you know what I mean? Like, the last people that you're going to tell on the face of the planet if you're struggling with sin or doubt is the people sitting next to you in this room. That's the last people you want to know if your marriage is crumbling, if your kids are running away from Jesus, or if you feel like you're not sure you want to stick with him. The last place you want people to know is right here. I want my reputation to be high. They can't know I struggle. They can't know I'm weak. They, they, they can't know I've got sin issues. They can't know that I'm afraid. They can't know that I decided not to share the truth with Jesus. I, they can't know that ever. Listen, that, 
That's a dangerous thing. And here in this community, when they face persecution and suffering, the very first group that they run to is their church family, their people. We can call them friends. Church, I, I think this is phenomenal. I think this is amazing. Here's what it tells me. I mean, I want to give you three reasons why I think we need that type of community. First, we need to share our burdens. We need to share our burdens. You were not meant to do this all by yourself. You're not meant to be a follower of Jesus all alone. You cannot live the Christian life solo. It is impossible. You just can't. You can't. If, if you want to be a follower of Jesus, you need to be engaged deeply in relationship. And I'm saying engaged in relationship, not you need to attend church. Those are not the same. You can attend church for 40 years and not be engaged in deep relationship. All right? You need to be engaged in relationship in the church so that you can share your burdens. In other words, you need to serve and be served. You need to encourage and be encouraged. Listen, you, you might need to be rebuked. And you might need to give rebuke. You need to forgive and be forgiven. Like you, you, you need it. Let me read this verse to you. Galatians chapter 6, verse 2 says this. Bear one another's burdens. And look at this last part. And so fulfill the law of Christ. How are you going to do that and not be in relationship with one another? And let, me, let me say it this way. If you don't bear one another's burdens, you are not fulfilling the law of Christ. You're disobeying him. And we, gotta be, we have to bear burdens. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25 says it this way. It says, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Listen, you're thinking through Think through the best way for you to get together and encourage each other to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Listen, he just says, you need to be together. You need to think through ways to stir each other up to doing good things and to loving one another. And you need to even more as you think Jesus is getting closer to showing up. Just out of curiosity, if you were watching the news, like, you think Jesus is close to coming right now? We got global pandemics, you got wars and insanity happening all over the place. Listen, the closer we get to Jesus coming back, the more you need deep relationship and community in the church, not the less you need it. And church, right now, man, we are set up for a trap like I've never seen. COVID comes in, gets us all comfortable watching it online, like it gets us comfortable not being around, not being together, not being in a relationship, and now the bar's lowered. If we can just get you to show up, now you're a good church member. And listen, y'all are doing great. Don't, don't, that's not where I'm going. Like, right, I'm not, I'm not mad at you. Some of you are online. You can't help it. I understand there's issues. I'm not, but what I'm saying is there's this danger that we've, We've lowered the bar even lower, and it was already lower than God's standard. It was already lower, right? It was already, and this standard is like, man, you're getting isolated as Jesus is getting closer to coming. We're getting worse and worse and worse at relationship and community in the church. 
And these dudes, if you want to endure suffering, if you want to endure persecution when it comes or if it comes, you want to do that, you aren't doing it all alone. You've you got to have a relationship, man. There needs to be some people in, the church, in this church who are your people. And it can't take 25 years for, it to, for them to become your people. Like this church is young, man. It's weeks old. And they've already gotten their people. It needs to be easy to connect. It needs to be open and welcoming. It should go deep very, very quickly. But if you're going to be the church, that means you've got to have deep relationship. Listen, there's another reason why we need this type of community. Not just to share our burdens, but to share our victories. Right? Like, so when they got together with that group of friends and they shared the threats, you know what else they probably shared? Do you know what I told them? I, here's, what I, here's what I said. I, we, were, we're all, we were up all night long. We were praying and said, God, you give us the words to say. And they said, what's going on? I said, I told them it was Jesus. Can you imagine that for Peter? Imagine that victory. Two months ago, I tuck-tailed and run. I denied him three times. You remember that? Look at the work that Jesus did in my heart. I didn't tuck-tail and run. I told them I was with Jesus. Man, it's not just sharing your burden. You get to share those victories, man. Look at what Jesus did in me in the last couple weeks. This is awesome. He also got to share the boldness that he had. He said, listen, I know you're threatening me, but I, all I can do is obey God. You do what you got to do, but I got to obey Jesus. I have to talk about what I've seen God do. Listen, they're sharing their victories as well. One of the other reasons why we need community is we got to be able to share our victories. I don't just need stories of everyone that's struggling I need stories of people who said, listen to what Jesus did in my heart this week, right? Like if all we do is get together and mope and whine and say, everything is so hard all the time, like that's, I don't want to be around that group. But I do want to be around the group where this person is just having a brutal time. Like marriage is, whatever it is, let's go marriage, because that'll rock your world, right? The marriage looks like it's crumbling, or maybe they're like, my parents are getting divorced, whatever it is. They're with that group, and then next to them is sitting this person, this older couple that says, our marriage is on the rocks one time. Let me tell you what Jesus did. My parents got divorced. Let me tell you how Jesus got me through it. You imagine how encouraging that is to sit next to one another across the generations and across the different cultural experiences and being able to say, man, I'm struggling. Someone else is saying, let me tell you about how Jesus got me through something just like that. Man, I need stories of what Jesus did. Man, church, we need community to share our burdens and to share the victories of Jesus. We need both of those. And you won't get it. I'm, I'm telling you, you won't get it by not being part of a church. Maybe you can scour that in the internet. Maybe you can find stories on YouTube. Maybe on Facebook or Instagram, there's an Insta story that, like, let me tell my story about what Jesus did, and you're like, that's the story I needed, right? Like, you might try to find that, but you don't need an Instagram story. You don't need a YouTube video. You need the people sitting right next to you in this room. That's what we need, church. And we need community to bear our burdens and to share the victories that Jesus did. But I think there's another reason why we need community. I think we need this type of community so that we can be a bright light to the world. Jesus talks about it. I'm not going to look up the verse saying that, you know, they're going to know you, my disciples, by the love you have for one another. He said that real clearly. 
But, but I need to think about it. Think about our world right now. If I was describing our culture in the United States of America, I would say Twitter has gone from online to in-person, right? Like it, it feels like there's like this edge, right? There's like this, this crankiness, this, this, it's like at any moment it could just explode. Did y'all feel that? All right, like I was talking with Pastor Tommy um, this past week. He went to Chick-fil-A uh, for breakfast. I guess he does that all the time. And as he's going to Chick-fil-A for breakfast, he's, they're understaffed, and so they've got a, a smaller menu, I guess. I, I don't know. He said whatever it was going on. So these two guys are up there ordering. He hears them just, like they're losing their brain on this poor chick that's doing the Chick-fil-A order. She's like, hey, we've got a limited menu. And he's like, are you telling me? That's all the menu items? And she was like, yeah, I'm sorry, we're understaffed right now. And he said the, the guy just lost their brain. They're giving it to her. They're telling everyone, can you believe this? Can you believe that I can't get, I don't know what it was, I can't get eight-count chicken minis? I, dude's losing his brain on some poor 20-year-old girl that's trying to do her job, right? He's losing his ba- brain over, like, chicken nuggets, man. Like, seriously? Like, and Tommy's just like, dude, like, you could tell these guys are ready to fight, and they... They get their food, and the whole time, they're just going off in the entire show. Y'all felt that tension around? And that's not even about vaccines, man. We're not even talking politics and vaccines. We're talking chicken nuggets. Good grief, man. Like, you can't even, you can't even hardly breathe right now. Like, you say the wrong thing, and someone's coming at you. They're going to tell you that's cultural appropriation or whatever the words are right now, right? You're going to get lit up for who knows what. Like you're going to get destroyed. If you don't say, I probably, I'm going to get destroyed for saying cultural appropriation. I don't even know. Um, Like, listen, you, you you can't say enough right things. There's no way to get it all right. You say the wrong thing and it's coming at you. You say the wrong thing at work, what's going to happen right now? Right, like, and then you've got all this. Am I going to get vaccine? Am I not going to get vaccinated? Where people are forcing vaccines, and everyone is on edge. Now, now think about this. That sounds like an awful place. And what we want to do is we want to want to circle up and protect ourselves. We want to hide because things are scary. It's work is tense. All that stuff is insane right now. I don't know if someone's going to yell at me. Now, here's what I need you to understand: the bar for being a light in this culture just dropped all the way down over here. That's two bars that have lowered, but this one's a good one. If you're just nice and kind and gracious and hospitable, people are like, who are you? If you can just be gentle and kind and grateful to people around you, if you've got actual relationship with people. Can you imagine what this would look like to our culture if the church was together? Not that we all agree on everything. That the church is together disagreeing about some things graciously. We're still disagreeing. We're not pretending like we agree on everything, but we're graciously disagreeing. We're still in a relationship. We're opening up our homes to one another. Invite an unsafe friend to that. And see if they're not saying, well, what is going on with this group? But, but we're trapped right now. Because when we don't have deep community, dude, it's a hindrance to our witness out there. And it's, 
We're not opening up our homes. I, I just want to encourage you, church, you want to be a bright light. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to be an awesome example of the gospel work by being kind and gracious and thoughtful and hospitable. That's what you do. I'm telling you right now, people are losing their brain, kind, gracious, and hospitable. People are, are cowering and hiding. Listen, you start inviting people out into relationship with you. Open up your homes. Open up your dinner table. If you can't do it at a dinner table, go to Sonny's together. All right, do, do something. You, you, we gotta start having meals together. We gotta start being with one another, not just in this room. We, we gotta have that type of community or we're not gonna reach this city for Jesus. I'm, I'm just telling you right now, it won't work. Because the gospel's point is blunted when there is no community that demonstrates the gospel love for one another. If the gospel can't make me love you, can't make you love me even though we're different, it's not strong enough to, to save me from my sin. But if the gospel changes us and makes us a community with deep relationship that meets one another's needs and cares for each other, that opens up our homes in the middle of a pandemic, that opens up our dinner tables, and doesn't lose their brain in the midst of this stuff. If we can be that community, man, if we be that community, we will be a light. Church, you, you need to do this. You need to make time for it. You need to plan for meals together. And, and you say, well, I don't know. What am I going to do with the meal? Let me make it easy for you. Eat. And then share your stories. Right? I mean, let's not make this too complicated. Hey, how'd you meet Jesus? Just make that one conversation around the dinner table. Go run and share how you met Jesus. Or, or maybe you're uncomfortable with that. Tell them something. You Talk about the sermon. Be nice. Like, just but talk about the sermon. Well, what did God say to you through the word? Or talk about something you got out of the word this past. Let me tell you one thing that I got out of the word this week. Right? To say one thing you saw God do. One thing you're grateful for. Or say, let me tell you, let me tell you one thing I'm struggling with. Sometimes at my dinner table, we'll do highs and lows. Uh, and my kids are getting good at it, uh, and they wait for it. We're eating dinner, and I'm like, all right, what was your high and your low? And then it, it's exactly what you expect from a nine, seven, five, and three-year-old, right? Like three-year-old just, uh, I'm not even going to tell you what he says. Um, but the nine-year-old, I had fun at school, and then I didn't have, I had homework. Like, it's not, like, right, like, it's, that's his highs and lows. But he's at least sharing what happened in his day. Just do highs and lows around the table. It's literally that simple. You, you can do this. You can do this. Open up your home. Get in small groups. Get in communities. Be in relationship. Eat meals together. Like just be in community. It really is that simple. But there's more. They didn't just go tell their friends. I mean, let me show you what else happened here. Look at Acts chapter 4, verse 24. Because it wasn't just they were saying, hey, let's, let me go tell my friends what happened. Verse 24. And when they heard it, when they told their friends, here's what the chief priest said. Look what they do. They lifted their voices together to God. Like out of the gate, they're saying, listen, I got to share this burden, not just with my community, but there's someone more powerful in my community that I'm going to share this with. We're going to take this to God. That's the thing that was causing their prayer to even explode more. There was this not only desire to see him work, but now that the pressure's coming in, they don't want to just talk with their friends because their friends can't do anything. 
I want to talk with my God who's king and in charge and on the throne. And dude, look at, I don't want you, this is like this calm, boring prayer. Like it wasn't just like, it wasn't emotionless. This was emotional, you guys. It, that phrase says, where it says they lifted their voices together, it actually sounds like this. They cried out loud together. It's almost like they're weeping together. This is not quiet and dignified. This is an emotional and out loud prayer saying, God, we need your help. Help us. Like a, and here's what they say. I, I want you to see how they pray. Because this is the other thing. They, they don't just need community to stand in suffering and persecution. They, they need to know some things about God in suffering and persecution. Let me show you one of them. It says this. Here's what they say. Sovereign Lord. That word sovereign means he's got absolute authority. Like he's, he's in charge of everything. Out of the gate, the first thing they know as they're talking to God is that he's not some weak figure. He's in control of all of it, like everything. Their prayer stood on the sovereignty of God. It says this, it says, Sovereign, look at how they describe it. He made heaven and earth and the sea and everything in them. He's sovereign over all of creation. Like the one that we're talking to right now, he's big and he's strong. Like he speaks and the universe exists. That's huge. When you're praying to God and you're in the middle of suffering and you're in the middle of persecution, you have to know that God is sovereign and in control. That they don't want a weak God. What good is that for me? I want the real strong God who can do something about this. They're speaking to the one being who's able to handle this situation. They don't need Caesar. They don't need new legislation. They don't need more freedom. What they want is the sovereign creator God to act, the God who has ultimate power and control over everything. So they say, listen, sovereign Lord, like you're so big. You made heaven and earth and the sea and everything in them. Look at how else they describe his sovereignty. Let me hop down to verse 27 and 28. It says this, For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel. They're getting a little wordy. That's okay. Uh, they're sitting there saying, God, definitely in this city, everyone was against Jesus. Pilate did it. And the Jewish leaders did it, and Herod did it, and all the Jewish people, everybody wanted to kill Jesus. And then look at this next phrase right here in verse 28. To do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Now, you might skip right over that, but you don't need to. Let me tell you what they just said. This is... This is the type of sovereignty that they're viewing God in. It's not that he's big and over creation. They're saying God, Pilate wanted to kill Jesus and Herod wanted to kill Jesus and all the Gentiles wanted to kill Jesus and, and all the Jewish leaders wanted to kill Jesus and the whole crowd was yelling, crucify him, crucify him. Every single one of them were sinning in the worst way possible. It was unjust and it was unfair and it was all your plan. You see that? Listen, don't, don't miss that strength. They're saying, God, you're like, you're not just over creation. Like, listen, when all that bad stuff happened, 
You were in charge of it. Let me explain that. Let me explain how strong that is. Here's Satan in his ultimate victory and fight against God, and he played right into God's hands to accomplish God's greatest act of salvation in the history of the universe. Dude, that is strong, you guys. Like, think about that. If Satan and all his schemes can murder Jesus, the Son of God, and it actually accomplishes the salvation of every man, woman, and child in all the generations, in all the nations, it, it seals for me and you access to eternity with God that we never would have gotten, that's strong. Like he's not just reacting to Satan. He's so in charge that even Satan's worst rebellion accomplishes God's will. You need to know that. When suffering comes after you, God's got you. He's not surprised by it. He's not weak. Like he, he, he has you and he sees you and he's doing way more than you see or know. He's not out of control. Listen, if persecution comes, if your boss says, if I hear you say a word about Jesus, you're done right then. I don't know all the legal ways for him to do that, but let's just say he does. If your boss comes after you about speaking for Jesus, you need to hear me. God's got you. Your family gets upset about following Jesus. God's got you. He's sovereign and in control, even of the worst thing that could ever happen to you. That would be bad news if he was just big and strong, but he's big, strong, and loving. Let me remind you what that plan was. That plan was to show his love by sending his son to die on the cross for you. He's not just, big, just a big, strong monster. He's a big, strong, loving father. Your father is in charge of everything. Listen, you, you want to know how to pray and you want to know how to deal with suffering and persecution? You need to believe that God is sovereign. Your prayers need to stand on the sovereignty of God. But there's more. I'm going to keep going because i got preaching to do here. Let me, let me hop back here in this prayer. So they're praying, they pray to, oh, sovereign Lord, let's go to verse 25. And look at what else they say here. Here's what I see. I'm going to see that their prayer was saturated in the word. It's not, not just that they stood on the sovereignty of God. They were saturated in the word. Look at verse 25. He says this. Who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit. Saying, listen, God, you're sovereign, you're in charge. And you had David say this. And they quote Psalm 2. Let me read what they quote there. Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord, against his anointed. They're saying, listen, thousands of years ago, you spoke through David that the kings and the nations were going to rebel against you. And that's exactly what happened. Now, now here's why, what stands out to me. And I don't have time to go through Psalm 2. You need to read it sometime on your own to see what David and them were thinking when it comes to Psalm chapter 2 or what the apostles were thinking as they were praying this. But here's what they're saying. What these guys are doing is they see, they hear this story, they say, man, look, Pilate and them, they just threatened us. And they're still fighting God. And they're so saturated in the word that the thing that comes out of their mouth is Psalm 2. Right? Listen, Psalm 2 doesn't just pop out because you never read the word and you're never in the word and you're never exposed to the word and all of a sudden something bad happens and boop, verse pops in. 
That, that's, that is not what's going to happen. Listen, the reason Psalm 2 pops out, the reason when you hear these guys pray, it's saturated with the scripture. The reason when Paul does impromptu sermons, he's immediately running to Old Testament passages is because these dudes are saturated, like constantly saturated in the word. It, it makes you strong. It helps you endure. And what needs to happen when life squeezes you, the word needs to come out of you. When you're pricked, you need to bleed the scriptures, you guys. That's how you stand strong. That's how you stand firm. That's how, that's how you're solidified. I'm, I'm going to read a whole bunch of verses to you because I spent a lot of time on this this week. I, I kept saying, well, let me find places where I see that the word is what helps us stand true. And I, would, I mean, the list got super long, but I found one passage I want to kind of go to, Psalm 119. If you've got time, flip back over. Let me read a couple verses to you. It's the longest psalm. It's the longest chapter in the Bible. And it's all about the word of God. Every single verse. And it, it's crazy. There's a lot in there. I don't want to get into it right now. But let me read a few verses to you about the word helping you endure suffering and persecution. Psalm 119, verse 28. My soul melts away for sorrow. Strengthen me. According to your word. God, I feel like I'm melting. I'm so sad. But it's your word that's going to strengthen me. Verse 41 and 42. Let your steadfast love come to me, O Lord, your salvation according to your promise. Then I shall have an answer for him who taunts me, for I trust in your word. Listen, they're coming at me. They're going to... I got these guys that want to taunt me, and the way I get my answer is from the word. Look at verse 50 through 52. This is my comfort in my affliction, that your promise gives me life. The insolent utterly deride me, but I do not turn away from your law. When I think of your rules from of old, I take comfort, O Lord. How's he facing suffering? How's he facing persecution? The word. I got more verses. Verse 92. If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. It's the word that got me through. Look at 107. I'm severely afflicted. Give me life, O Lord, according to your word. Or verse 114. You're my hiding place and my shield. I hope in your word. Or verse 165. He says this. Great peace have those who love your law. Nothing can make them stumble. One last one, 170. Let my plea come before you. Deliver me according to your word. Church, you want to stand strong in suffering? You need the word. You need a lot of it. Listen, I, this is why this matters to me. Here's what I know. Suffering is coming for every person in this room. That's life. It's, it's coming. You may be in the thick of it right now. And that is, when it hits you, is not the time for you to first start thinking about getting in the Word. I'm trying to prep you right now for the suffering that's coming your way. You need to be in the Word now. Don't be too tired for it. Don't be too busy for it. Don't be too bored by it. You need the Word. It is what will make you firm. You need to dig into it. You need to be in it. You need to be saturated in the word or you will not endure when the fire comes. 
You need the word. But there's another thing about their prayer. Let me, let me keep reading how they pray. So they're praying, God, that these guys all want to do this, but it was all part of your plan. Verse 29, and now, Lord, look upon their threats. And we're saying, God, look, look at what they're doing. Look at their threats. And here's my question. What do you think they should pray next? Get them. Look at what they're threatening. You need to punch them right in the mouth, right? Knock their teeth out, God. Or maybe they should pray, get me out of this. God, get me out. I don't want to go through this. Make me not get in trouble for talking about you. Dude, they, these dudes, they got some grit to them, man. They say, and now look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. They didn't ask for them to kick their teeth in, and they didn't ask them to get them out of the trouble. They, saw, they said, God, help me not be afraid, and help me keep being faithful in the middle of this pressure and persecution. Dude, I, does that stand out to you? Like when, when I read that, I, just, I couldn't stop thinking that their prayer was just seeking faithfulness. They said, God, I'm sure they probably prayed for God to stop evil men. I'm not saying we shouldn't pray that. And I'm sure they prayed for God to get them out of suffering. I, we see that. I'm not saying you shouldn't pray for that. But their primary concern, God, help me be faithful in this. They're about to bring it. It's going to get rough. I already know they killed Jesus. They're not afraid of killing me. Help me be faithful. Help me have boldness to keep preaching the word. Listen, church, I love this. Their primary concern was them being faithful what God called them to do. Not their, not their well-being, not their comfort, not their ease, but God working through them. You know what God did? Look at verse 31. When they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. He did exactly that. That scene is crazy to me. Can you imagine that? They're praying, saying, God, we just... Give us boldness. Help. We want to see you keep working. And all of a sudden, the whole place is like, like an earthquake happening. And they're filled with the Spirit. And they leave that room filled with the Spirit. And they're being bold for Jesus. Listen, church, if you want to be people that endure, let me summarize what we've just read. We must have strong community. We must stand on a sovereign God. We must be saturated by the Word. And we must seek to be faithful. Now, how can I talk like that? I just want to remind you, here's how. Because that's exactly what Jesus did. Jesus came and he lived this perfect life and he, he endured suffering all the way to the end. He did it for you and me. He died on the cross so that you and I could have access to the Father. Our example is a suffering Savior who did that out of love for us. Church, Jesus can help us do this. And he endured it perfectly, and he endured it joyfully, and he endured it completely so that we could be saved. So my call to you is this. Get in community. Make time for it. Open your homes. Be together. Secondly, praise him for being sovereign. Third, get in the word. And finally, for some of you, uh, you need to be saved. 
you hear that good news and talk about enduring it. And what you need is you need to know this. Not that you need to endure. You need to know that someone endured for you. And his name was Jesus. And he says he'll save you and make you his son or daughter if you'll repent of your sin and place your trust in him. If that's you today, be saved. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? Take a moment to guide us to a time of response. And right there in your seat, I just want you to spend time with God and ask him what he said to you. Listen, if you haven't been engaged in community, ask him to help you do it and ask him who he wants you to get a meal with together this week. If you haven't been in the word, listen, tell him about it and get in the word this week. Maybe you've been doubting that God's been sovereign. Man, or maybe you've been trusting him and you're suffering right now. Would you just take a moment right there in your seat and just praise him for being completely and totally in control. And, and maybe you're the person I was talking to at the end that you need to be saved. I just want to call you to place your trust in him right there in your seat. Ask him to save you.